This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. It is important for all of us in business to recognize that we're in a time of change. And I think there's two types of people in the world, that they look at change as it's a problem or they look at change as an opportunity. And I'm one of those individuals that when change occurs, I get excited about it, that it, that it really is an opportunity for us to do a lot of things that people have thought about but maybe have been a little bit reticent to do. And so I'm embracing change. I'm going to be very aggressive. Uh, I've been that way my entire career. Get used to that voice. That's your new Bears president and CEO, Kevin Warren. That was at a relatively recent Big Ten media gathering. And now he's here to institute some changes. And they are going to come real quick after he tours the facilities. Here to talk about the Bears' big hire and more is Minneapolis Star Tribune columnist Jim Suhan, who is on Twitter at Suhan S. Trib and joins us on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Good to talk, Jim. How you been? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing really well, and we're trying to get as much information on Kevin Warren as possible. So what do you know? Well, I did a big piece on him a few years ago, uh, and... I came away as impressed by him as anybody I've ever dealt with in the sports world. Uh, I just think he's he, obviously he's very smart, uh, very accomplished. He's had a really interesting career path. But, you know, he, he always starts whenever you talk about big picture stuff, he kind of goes back to what he thinks were his true roots as far as uh, being a, you know, a, a big deal, a power broker. Uh, he got hit by a car when he was riding his bike in, as a kid in Arizona. And, you know, he was an inspiring athlete. Uh, the leg was so bad that, you know, doctors basically didn't think he'd ever, they w- wondered if he'd ever walk normally again, much less be an athlete. He built and paid for his own pool at his family's house so he could rehab. They, they told him the best way to rehab is rehab is uh, water work, you know, swimming and, and working in weightless situations in the water. Built his own pool. Uh, rehabbed his injury, went on to be a college athlete, and that kind of launched all this. The other really fascinating thing about him is, you know, he's having a really nice career as a, a lawyer and an executive with the NCAA, and wanted to be, in, but he always really wanted to be involved with, the, with in sport in, in the NFL. He just kind of dreamed about being around the NFL, even though he wasn't a college football player. And he basically kind of signed on with the St. Louis Rams as a legal counsel, and he ended up just living out of a hotel room as close as he could to the Rams facility. And I, and I, I went to high school three years in St. Louis. It was a real redneck area. It was a, kind of a cruddy hotel in a redneck area, just so he could be near the facility ends up becoming like best friends with Dick Vermeil ends up, you know, working in the football uh, department just because he refused to go home. He just, and Vermeil eventually just get, said, Hey, you, you can be a part of anything you want. He ends up being with them when they win a world championship. And I think, you know, I thought the Big Ten move was a really interesting move for him, but this makes more sense to me. This, to me, is more who he is. I think he wants to win a Super Bowl as a prime mover with an NFL franchise. I wouldn't be surprised if someday he became NFL commissioner, although I don't know if he's enough of a yes man to uh, to deal with NFL owners. But this makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think he sees a franchise building a new stadium uh, that has a long way to go but has some promise. I think he – he sees himself winning big with in this situation. Jim, why why did the move to the Big Ten surprise you? Oh, no, he actually didn't. Su- I, well, it's one of those things. 
it made perfect sense, it still surprises you when it happens, right? I, I kind of thought, I really thought he was on track to continue working in some guys in the NFL. And I really did think that maybe he was on a path to being NFL commissioner or some, some kind of job like that. I just didn't, I, you know, I, I just didn't see him go to the big 10, not because it wasn't logical, just because I didn't foresee it. Uh, really, it made a lot of sense though. He, he kind of had a glass ceiling here. He'd done kind of everything he could. He built the stadium, he built a great stadium. Uh, the team really, by the time he left, was really no longer on a very optimistic about winning a championship with the people they had in place. And, and this is the Wilfs franchise. Ziggy's the owner. Mark is the, you know, kind of the, the power broker and team spokesman. And there's really no place else up for Kevin to go. And, I, and you know, so, so in that regard, the Big Ten move made some sense. It, still, it just surprised me in the moment. While we're still on the Vikings, uh, Ed Donatell was here briefly in Chicago as the coordinator of the secondary under Vic Fangio. We didn't hear or see much of him because Vic was really the guy defensively, and and that's fine. And then when the time came, I believe he left here on his own volition rather than be considered as a replacement for Fangio. And now he's under some fire there in in Minnesota, and I believe there are people who think that this game and any of the come after it will be his chance to prove himself to stay in his position. Is that the case? I think he's going to get fired. I could see them. I mean, I don't think the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl, but I could even see the Vikings winning the Super Bowl and him still getting fired. Uh, I don't think, uh, and this is, you know, not from Kevin O'Connell, but from people I know in the organization, I think Kevin O'Connell is <laughs> regretting that hire and wants somebody else. I think he wants more aggression. I'm not sure he sold on a three, four. If he does keep the three, four, it'll be, it'll look different. Uh, I, it just hasn't been a good year. And listen, it's not all Ed's fault, but he hasn't really helped things. Um, he's, he's, played a, he's played a very passive defense. He's been bailed out by the fact that he has some really savvy veterans who have made just enough clutch plays in the fourth quarter of games uh, to, to salvage victories. But it's statistically, it's a horrible defense. Jim, if I can go back to Kevin Warren for a second, I'm curious, how did he catch the Wilfs' eye and and what went into him helping and getting that stadium built? You know, he so he was with the Rams. Obviously, he had a, a great run with the Rams, and he was really tied to Vermeil. So once Vermeil passed on, passed, uh, not passed. I'm using the wrong word. Once Vermeil retired, uh, I think Kevin kind of lost his his connections there. Obviously, once again, I think he wants to win championships, and it looked like that window was closed there. He goes to the Detroit Lions. Uh, and they were still the Lions, so that wasn't going to last real long. And he was just kind of a logical guy, a combination of legal expertise, knowledge in the NFL, having been around winning programs, knowing the division, um, and I think the Wolves knew they eventually wanted a stadium. And, and Kevin, if you spend time around him, I just don't know anybody who spent time around him who doesn't like him. He's a consensus builder. He builds relationships. He wins people over. Uh, and I do think the Wolves also, you know, whether this is a big part of it or not, I think they wanted to have a franchise that, that wasn't just all old white people. And Kevin was a pretty logical candidate in, that, in all those regards. So Carlos Correa finds his way back to Minnesota in really a saga that we had never seen in any baseball offseason in quite this way. The reporting that I've read has painted Derek Falvey in a very interesting light in his ability to balance being uh, being kind of a pain in the ass 
with also being diplomatic. It really was a, it was a hell of an executive achievement to be able to stay in touch with Scott Boris in the way that he did, kind of in a, in a kind way, never taking complete no for an answer, always keeping those back channels open. It, it's, it's really remarkable sort of politically what he pulled off there. It is, and it's really typical of Derek. Derek is a, Derek's a good guy. He really is. He's, he's remarkably intelligent, uh, very patient, very humane, uh, and all of his best traits came into play here. I call, you know, he really wasn't doing media uh, during, this, during this whole run, but the day that uh, the Giants announced they were signing Correa, you know, and the, the Vikings, uh, excuse me, the Twins were, 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 you know, just kind of devastated by that. They really banked on getting Correa. And I called, I, I got a hold of Falvey, and, you know, this is a, a crushing day for him. Uh, changed all of his plans, maybe changed the arc of the franchise. And all he did was compliment Correa, you know, and at that moment he had no idea that if Correa was going to fail a physical or fail two physicals or ever be available to him again. And all he did was praise Correa and praise Boris and, and, you know, it was smart and diplomatic, but also showed that he's not a vindictive guy. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to, you know, uh, hurt anybody here. He wasn't trying to win points. He wasn't trying to win an argument. He just, he really likes Correa. He really wanted him. And then he just kept in touch. And he kept in touch and kept in touch. Also, Boris is famous for manipulating the arrogance uh, of, of owners. That's why he always wants the meeting with the owner, not just the general manager. He wants to tell the owner, hey, come on, man, you're a big deal. You wouldn't pass, you wouldn't pass on having a great player who upgrades your franchise just for $20 million. Come on, man. You, you have a chance to win it all. Here. I mean, Boris plays these people like they're puppets. And Falvey kind of did that to Boris this time around. Hey, you know, if you, if you include what we paid Carlos last year and he ends up playing out the full 10 years that's potential in this deal, he's going to make 350 million. You can, you can tell people you got Correa, a shortstop who isn't even like uh, a superstar shortstop necessarily. You got him $350 million. You can, you can say this is one of the greatest deals of all time. Falvey just kind of kept, kept putting his best side forward and listen it still took a bunch of miracles for it to happen but it would he you know Correa would not be here if Falvey hadn't handled it that way and and stayed in contact which I think is really really amazing that that's that's part of this story I was talking with your your podcast partner Lavelle yesterday about all of this stuff and the 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 hoops that the twins had to go through to kind of not look like they were crazy with the medicals was fascinating what did you learn about that process of how they were able to clear Correa when the other two teams didn't? Well, and the reality here is you don't have to take medical advice. It's medical advice. Uh, so the Giants looked at his ankle and said, oh, my God. The Mets looked at his ankle and said, oh, my God. The Twins are like, okay, he was in our clubhouse every day. We saw him work out. We saw him never miss time because of his ankle. Uh, yeah, you know. Medically, you can look at his x-rays, his MRIs, everything else, and, and be worried. But, you know, they, they see a guy who takes incredible – the guy's in amazing shape. There's no doubt about it. He was their hardest worker last year. Again, he missed some games, but some of that is because the Twins like resting players. Uh, he would have actually liked to play more games, I believe. Uh, they just saw a guy who wanted to play every day, who took care of himself. Uh, and I guess my view of this is you could sign – somebody who has never missed a day. I mean, I, I covered Kirby Puckett 
Kirby Puckett never went on the disabled list, never sat out a game, uh, you know, unless the manager insisted on resting him. And one day he wakes up blind in the spring training, his career's over. I mean, everybody's an injury risk. And so, you know, I think, I just think it's really simple. The Twins are comfortable with this level of risk. And the deal protects them. I mean, some of the team options in there are, it it does tell me that it was a two-way street. And and what I'm curious about is anything that Correa had said publicly about wanting to be part of a contender, not wanting to, wanting to be part of a rebuild. What message does it send the rest of that clubhouse to that his level of confidence in their ability to contend? Yeah. Well, first of all, it, this couldn't have worked out better for the Twins. Uh, however, the Saga played out, they went from offering ten years. $285 million guaranteed to offering him six years, $200 million with the chance for him, if he stays healthy and productive to then add on year by year, it's a great deal for the twins. They get Correa for all of his prime. Then they get to choose whether they keep him beyond that. Uh, they also see him as somebody who's going to recruit free agents. Uh, he, and he did that, you know, it's trading deadline. He was in there. He was saying, Hey, you want this guy. I know this guy. I played, WBC with this. I grew up with this guy. You want this guy. He's a character guy. Uh, and, you know, Boris joked about Correa being assistant general manager. There, there is some truth to that. Yeah. Uh, Correa is a very smart guy, knows the league, studies the league, and he looks at the Twins, or, and I had this conversation with him during the season. He looks at the Twins and says, okay, listen, you know, had a million injuries this year. It didn't work out, but there is a lot of talent coming. Uh, they have a lot of assets right now. They have a lot of redundancies at corner positions, especially now that Royce Lewis is not going to be playing shortstop for the next six to ten years. Uh, they have the ability to trade. Uh, they're willing to spend a, a certain amount of money. Correa thinks this is going to be a really good team. And I, I will say this. I didn't think they were a bad team last year. I thought they were a severely injured team. When Correa and Buxton were on the field together, this was one of the best teams in baseball. When they were hurt, it was one of the worst teams in baseball. What do you see when you look at the American League Central going into this season? Uh, yeah, it, to me, this is a really unpredictable division. I never would have thought Cleveland would have had enough to win it last year, but they're just such a well-run organization. They have so much pitching, they end up pulling through. I thought the White Sox were going to win it last year. I thought the Twins were going to give them a good run, and obviously I was wrong on both counts. Um, I don't know what to make the White Sox. I'll defer to you guys uh, in judging. What, we we what don't know either, to. Jim. We, we don't know. I'm, we're I'm, we're I'm, not uh, sure I, either. I, 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 d- I default to side-eye dubious no matter what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and LaRusso obviously was not the right fit in the right time, and that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I could see them bouncing back to some extent. I think the Twins, if given reasonable health, I think the Twins will be a good team. I don't know if it's a great team, but I think they have a chance to be a good team. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a trade for pitching now. I wouldn't be surprised if they went really aggressively on the trade market even during the season leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, They need a certain number of their young players to perform. They have a lot of options there. So it's hard to be overly confident about the Twins, but I I think there's the, the makings of a good team there. Jim, appreciate it. As always, make sure you send our best to your Star Tribune colleague, Chris Hine, longtime friend of this we show. We love oh, yeah. Chris. We love Chris. Miss him here in Chicago. Still obviously follow all his work on Twitter covering the um, the Timberwolves and uh, just one of the good guys in this business. Yeah, he's one of our best people, and I, I wish the Timberwolves would give him something better to write about. <laughs> I thought they were going to be better. I, I, I missed that uh, one. 
I missed it. I really, oh, I, no, well, I, that's, they're a disappointment. I missed it too. I thought, I thought they were going to be really good. Now listen, they've had, once again, they've had a tremendous number of injuries. Towns being hurt because they've been crushing. They've had other injuries that have hurt them. They also are just some nights absolutely pathetic. No effort. Uh, uh, I can't use the word I was going to use on the air, but uh, so they, they need to, they need some more luck. They also need to grow up. Well said. Jim well Suhan. said. Thanks as always, man. Be well. Thanks guys. See ya. Yeah, that is Jim Suhan of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Joe Ostrowski. Ooh, does he have a lot to do? We got all these wild card games. Yeah, and, and, and everything's bets. weird too yep. because you've got all this strange quarterback stuff. And and if you're thinking of of Super Bowl props and Super Bowl odds, what does the neutral site game do for any of that stuff? So there's a lot to discuss with Joe Ostrowski. We're excited to talk with him. We will do it next here on the Score. I have a daily sports betting show. We couldn't live without Joe Ostrowski. Oh, he's got a lot of Herbert Hoover in him. I got to tell you that one. Joe Ostrowski is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Please bet responsibly. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Ostrowski, the host of BetQL Daily. Joins us now on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. All right, Joe, I'd leave this to you with a, a panoply of possibilities for betting this weekend and beyond. Do we want to start with all of these wild card games and what we know and what we don't about who the quarterbacks are? You, you want to start with Bears? Because we got some bear stuff. I didn't know we had bear stuff. Yeah, we well the draft number one pick odds already out there. You could also find a wager on yes or no. Will the Bears trade the number one pick? Uh, so let's do that. Will they trade the number one overall pick? It is. It opened at minus one eighty. I saw it the other day. It got much higher than the current number, so it was bet down a little bit. But it is minus four hundred favorite. Yes, the Bears will trade the number one pick. So everybody knows what's going on there. Um, if uh, we dial it back a little bit to what I've seen over the last year, and I've talked to you guys in the past about why why I feel that. If you're into betting and you're following the draft anyways, you should definitely take a look into these markets because it's an information-based market. And if you're following along, you have a big edge here. And the books are not able to keep up on it like they are. You know, they're chasing injuries uh, day after day with the NBA or like we'll talk about in a moment with the NFL. Trayvon Walker, two weeks before last year's NFL draft, Walker was 30-1 to to go number one overall. Two weeks before the NBA draft, Paolo Bancaro was 22 to 1. And in hockey, Slavkovsky, a, a guy that I was hearing he was going to be the number one pick all along, he was 10 to 15. So just because it's not one of the top two names does not mean something could happen and, and there's going to be a change here. Um, right now, the odds for the number one pick, this, this is all we have as far as draft props. We'll get more and more as we get closer, obviously. Okay. But Bryce Young is the favorite at minus 140. And C.J. Stroud is the second favorite at plus 210. Quarterbacks for the top two picks. Besides last year, before that, it was four straight quarterbacks. Then you drop to the Will Anderson, of course, Jalen Carter territory at plus 750. And Will Levis is in the top five to go number one overall. He is 20 to one. Yeah, keep an eye on that. Because from from what the football people are saying, that's going to shorten up. It takes one team. Fall in love with Will Levis. They want to move up. And uh, they want to jump ahead of Houston, who's obviously going to be drafting a quarterback. There are a number of teams that are going to be drafting quarterback very high. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. We'll see all sorts of moves. We've already seen a Bryce Young move uh, before 
Uh, yeah, before the uh, all the bowl games, it was around even money between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and uh, I mentioned Young now minus one forty. Do you think that him playing in the bowl game had something to do with it? I mean, I, I mean, his resume kind of speaks for itself, but he balled out in that Sugar Bowl. I definitely do, Lawrence. There, there's no question about it. If there was a question, people watched his performance there and said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not as worried about his stature." I mean, look at look at what he's doing right now, and uh, they they would have, yeah, they they would go number one. So I think that was a little bit of of the reaction there, and people don't care that a team that doesn't appear to need a quarterback uh, going number one. It, this changes every year. There's going to be movement uh, in the top three, and and that's why you can find value. We'll have props like which specific player will the Bears' number one pick? Which specific player will go one, two, and, and will go down the line? So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I saw the clip, the, the Beck UL clip, where you guys were talking about taking three different teams to win the, the Super Bowl. Um, when you're looking at this this group of teams that are in the playoffs this year, what becomes important when you're handicapping Super Bowl champion? Well, the teams are tiered out right now. I would say path, which can be challenging to try and figure out, because you're talking to someone who, you know, even though they made their run last year, there was a time when I thought there was an incredible amount of value on the Bengals. But right now, I don't think there's value on the Bengals. They're 8-1. to one. They're the fifth favorite for the Super Bowl, but the injuries have just piled up, and the path is pretty rough. So now it, it's a little bit easier this weekend, well, a good amount easier, because you don't have Lamar. But most likely for Cincinnati, since they didn't have that opportunity to get that number one seed, and there was a path going into those last two weeks for them to get the one, now it looks like they're going to have to go to Kansas City and face Buffalo as well, and then you take on the NFC representative for this for the Super Bowl. So I look at I certainly look at path. Uh, to, if a team can just get through this weekend, like I'm looking at Chargers and the Jaguars game, the number is very short. It's inside of a field goal. The Chargers are road favorites, but yes, I can look at this specific matchup and say that it's kind of a toy, a coin toss game. But then going past that, so it'd probably be the the winner of this game going to Arrowhead. Well, we've seen Herbert hang with Mahomes. That's a bad Chiefs defense. Hey, he can put up points. I don't think Trevor Lawrence can do that. So you have to look at upside as well. So those are a couple of different things. It, it makes perfect sense to me how it's tiered this year. In that top tier, it, it's really tight between the Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Eagles, then a little bit of a drop down to the Bengals, then the Cowboys, then a big time drop down. You get to the 20s with the Chargers and the Bucks. The Vikings go 13-4, and four, guys, and they're 35-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. There's no respect for this team. What, if any, tangible effect has there been of the possibility of an AFC championship being played on a neutral site in Atlanta? Yeah, so um, we saw that move pretty much right away. It's the majority of sports books, they all have the Chiefs as a favorite now. It was the Bills before. So it, the, the idea of them... Of going, having to go to uh, to Buffalo to play, that kind of edged them out. But once once the Chiefs got the one, then there was uh, then there was that adjustment there. So, I mean, there is a a pretty sizable gap between Bills slash Chiefs and then the Bengals, as I just mentioned. I I think that the overall view of the NFC is there could be a surprise, there could be a uh, a Bengals of last year, but on the AFC side. That's not expected. 
it, the belief is it's going to be the Bills or Chiefs representing that conference. Does the neutral site stuff do anything to how people view Bills and Chiefs? It's just not as much as as people want it to be. I think a lot of people look at this uh, Giants-Vikings game this weekend, and you know, even though the no, records... But... What's that? Sorry, we're... we're... Uh, Okay. Even though the records are different, like it's the assumption is, oh, you get three points for home, and we talked about this. That that's not the case anymore. Um, that it's three in that Giants Vikings game because the Vikings are a little bit better. Or they're viewed a little bit better. So I I do think we are overreacting a little bit to this because the the reality is that there are a few specific spots where it is a little bit more home field and I understand Kansas City and Buffalo are two of them, but three points is not home field anymore. We are talking about uh, a one and a half maybe at max probably a, a two point advantage for being at home. Has enough uh, MLB free agent dust settled now that we're really kind of into the, the the last of the bargain basement signings here to get a sense for what the market thinks of who really has improved and who hasn't? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the only way it would change is if all of a sudden you get respected betters coming in on a specific team, and it, it just looks like there's a lot of value. There isn't one team that really stands out and where everybody agrees across the board, that's the best team in baseball. But is that because of the inherent randomness of playoff baseball now and just the fact that you're not betting on who's going to win the most of 162? And right. you can just, I mean, like you say, an 87-win team could win the World Series even though it's not close to being the best team in baseball. That's part of it. But the other thing is look how deep the National League is right now. So, yeah, you, you can look and say... The Dodgers have the best roster. That's been the case for quite some time. But you can also find the Dodgers at 8-1. to Dan, in recent years, you couldn't find the Dodgers at that sort of a number. Mm. It was always in that 3 or 4 range. And it's because of the depth, what we see elsewhere. Because look how many good teams that you have to beat to make some sort of a run. The NL East, from top to nearly the bottom, is just so strong with the Mets, the Braves. The Phillies make their run all the way, and then they add more, and then... They're not even in the top five in the odds because people don't expect them to repeat that. They're 14 to 1 right now at BetMGM. They're closer to the top 10. Uh, the White Sox number is at some spots has dropped a little bit. Uh, it's been locked in for much of uh, the offseason at 25, but I do see one of the big sports books in Illinois uh, dropped it down to 30 to 1 for the White Sox. And <laughs> this Cubs number has been pretty rock solid at 80. So. They, they okay. They made some nice additions. What those did is uh, it moved them out of the bottom ten. They're just outside of that. I don't think anybody is thinking the Cubs can do something crazy. Win totals uh, usually come out over the next month, so uh, we should get those shortly. As you mentioned, with all the big free agents signed. What do you make of the Monday night matchup? I hate it, but I <laughs> love it. Why? Why do you hate it? Why? Because I have to bet on Brady or Dak. I have to bet on Bowles or McCarthy. That's why I hate it, because I don't really believe in either of these teams. What I love about it is the drama that we're going to see. It's either going to be the end of Brady season, or it's going to be the the end of the Cowboys season, and you know everybody's going to overreact to that, and Michael Irvin will be screaming. So that part will be fun. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, but this Cowboys defense was viewed as... One of the best, like top three most of the season. Then all of a sudden, the last five games, they're giving up 27 points per game. Uh, Dak Prescott missed 
five games this year, and he's still tied for the league lead in interceptions. That's how awful he was, and we know Brady wasn't quite on point, but I do think he finished much better than Dak. Uh, here's the difference for me. Health. We haven't seen Tampa Bay this healthy all season. It looks like center Ryan Jensen might be back. We're expected to see Akeem Hicks, Vita Vea on that defensive Akeem line. Hicks. Yeah, Carlton Davis, uh, their cornerback is, is going to return. Mike Edwards, he's missed some time. He's their safety. He's going to be out there. Logan Ryan, it looks like Julio's 100% healthy. Bunch of guys that they have not had much of the season. Godwin, he's getting back into the offense. So I'm looking at the Bucks and uh, as an underdog at plus two and a half. I like them. Here's a here's a funny note on Tom Brady. People make jokes about his bedtime and and they think it's real when it comes to these night games. We remember Nick Foles beat him here. Uh, here's Brady in his last 18 night games. He is two and 16 against the spread. His last 18 wow. night games. It is un- He's got a 500 straight up record. Now, I think the context is that the majority of those games, he's the favorite. He's the underdog here, but it's still remarkable. 2-16 ATS last 18 night games. That's amazing. Yeah. He goes to bed at like 8.30, right? Isn't that his then, deal? Like 7 or 8. Yeah. I, mean, I remember <laughs> yeah, everybody was making the cracks when the Bears actually beat him. But uh, night, and, night, he, and he didn't know what down it was because he was <laughs> sleepy. And right, right. When I look at the, the Dallas defense, I see an incredible collection of talent that doesn't always play like a cohesive unit. It's, man, I, I'm kind of, I was th- thinking about, the, I wasn't even considering it with all the coaching changes that we're going to have. But this might be a situation where the loser of this game could fire their coach on Tuesday. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at what's happened with Tampa Bay uh, without Arians, and then McCarthy. I mean, Jerry Jones was asked about it on the radio in Dallas this week. I- is he safe? I-, I I don't know with that collection of talent that they have. Lawrence, I'm not sure that McCarthy should be safe. And and does Jerry want to lose Kellen Moore to another head coaching job instead of giving him the Cowboys coaching job? Right. Right there. And then also. Uh, it's not a game people are excited about for obvious reasons because you have a QB3 playing. But Mike McDaniel, there were rumors about that, about him getting fired. And we know the connections with Harbaugh, with the Miami, with Ross. So if McDaniel gets blown out at Buffalo, which is the expectation, I wonder if they end up making a change and then I would say, you know, fire our guy. Let's go get Mike McDaniel. I mean, you could also make the argument that Brandon Staley's not on safe ground. You hear what he said yesterday? No. So he says, talking about Mike Williams, who got hurt when he was playing him for no reason. He's questionable. He has not practiced this week. Staley comes out and says that the reps aren't what matters. Rest is. He played Herbert and Mike Williams late last week for the reps in a meaningless football game, and he got Mike Williams hurt. But he's out there yesterday saying reps isn't what matters. It's just about the rest. I don't know what happened to him, but he sounds like a buffoon right it, now. It, it feels like he got rattled by that Week 17 game last year. Yeah, and, and Schefter says that Williams is out two to three. Oh, he said out now. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, see, there you go. That's a, a good move. Good move, Staley. <laughs> Solid. Get those mm-hmm. reps in, Joe Ostrowski. Thanks, and good luck. 
Thank you, guys. Early odds. Uh, times are moving uh, throughout the playoffs. Different stuff going on the station. So uh, 6 a.m. tomorrow, but the podcast will be out as well. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Wow. 6 a.m. There you have it. Okay. Mm. High noon is coming up next. We have a, a little bit of a situation developing at the Dallas Zoo. There are helicopters. Is this breaking high noon it, news? It, it kind of is. And it's also, a, I think, an example of, of underplaying what's going on. Also, we didn't get to shout out Joe. Joe broke an eight-minute mile this week, like on the treadmill. I think he did like a 734 mile this week. Herbert Hoover's getting himself back in shape. Wait, isn't is that that big a deal? I mean, it is for someone that hasn't been running it's and, a, and is a, 40 years old. It's yes. a nice milestone when you're starting to get into running to get under eight. Okay. You know, if you haven't been running a lot, like I like he runs like, me, he yeah, runs like a five. Oh, I do not run a five. You run like a the five best mile I've mile. ever run is five and a half on a treadmill, and I was exhausted. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah, before you know, okay, guy in his forties to knock off the dust and go out there and do a sub eight, pretty damn good. Shout out to Joe. Oh, I have. How can I describe this? It is something that Dan has often talked about when it comes to. Star Wars. And one of the greatest of all time had a similar thought about Star Wars, and I thought that I would share it. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Here at High Noon, we tell you what we've done so far, and that was talking more about the ongoing reaction to the Bears hiring yesterday at this time of Kevin Warren as their new president. And we also replayed some of what Tom Ricketts said on these very airwaves this morning on the Mully and Haw Show. Jim Suhan joined us to talk about Carlos Correa and Kevin Warren and more. And Joe Ostrowski got your betting opportunities all set up for a big weekend. It's Dan, what is your biggest criticism of Princess Leia in the Star Wars movies? My biggest criticism of Carrie Fisher's acting? Yes. Yeah, it's that the accent comes and goes. And it's her biggest criticism. It's not really mine. Right. If you listen to her drunken commentaries that are absolutely phenomenal, she she's like, oh my God, listen to me. I got this dumb British accent in this scene, and then it disappears in the next scene. So this is this is her. I but she's she's right. And she had she was only 19, she hadn't done a whole lot of acting, and it was that inconsistency that's always bugged me. I ran across a conversation that George Lucas had with Robin Williams about the accents of people in Star Wars. Take a listen. It seems like all the villains basically on the Death Star was old, sir, Mr. Lord yeah, Vader. We, we, kept the, we kept the military military yeah. group a little bit more higher English than the... Yeah, they were very much Lord Vader. Yeah. Very sorry, Lord. Not like uh, English soldiers. Lord Vader! It's all been done, sir. <laughs> Planet's been destroyed, sir, as you wished. <laughs> or one Scottish stormtrooper. Can't go in there, sir. The doors haven't been blown off yet. <laughs> We'd be definitely a way to go. Lord Vader! What is she saying? Lord Vader, to get feet free! <laughs> what? There was a blue and wee there! What? <laughs> blue and wee, kind of wee there! Blue! Time out of Eever. The brave heart Vader. Luke! What? Luke! Do that with the fast! What? Do the fast, Luke! What? 
Use the force. The force? Force! <laughs> Work with me, great Scottish Raiders. <laughs> I could not stop. I watched I it him. five times. I miss oh, him. don't we all? Like, just the best. And if you get the chance, the uh, the Eddie Izzard at uh, as Darth Vader at the Death Star commissary. Yeah, you put me onto that. That is a really incredible piece of art. Um, I am your boss. Oh, Mr. Kensington. <laughs> Who's he? No, I'm Darth Vader. But he's there to catering. <laughs> You need a tray. I don't need a tray. I am the the leader of the Sith. Yeah, but you need a tray. You need a tray for your food. <laughs> uh, Use the force. <laughs> the force. Force. This one's got a tray. Fine, fine. This one's wet. Uh, wet. Wet. Also wet. And this one's wet. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got a we've got a developing high noon story. The Dallas Zoo. In a series of tweets today, the Dallas Zoo tweeted the following. This is one tweet. This is the official account of the Dallas Zoo. The zoo is closed today due to a serious situation. Like, uh, go on? <laughs> yes? So they do. We have an ongoing situation at the zoo right now with a code blue. Code blue? Code blue? What What's is a code blue? That is a non-dangerous animal that is out of its habitat. So I think, okay. It's a turtle. A, it's a peacock. Mm. Well, they can be annoying. Yeah, right. Or it's like like a box turtle. Did I ever tell you about the neighbors that I had in Woodlawn that had like seven peacocks? Yeah, in their yard. Were they eating them? No, they they were just there. Like they these people had a huge yard. They had all sorts of wildlife, but you could literally like walk up. And the peacocks are just like hanging out. Yeah, they can be territorial and annoying, especially during during mating season. I, I mean, it was just like you're in the middle of the south side of Chicago, and there's a peacock habitat for some reason. But I was thinking it was something like that. But no, they said one of our clouded leopards was not in its habitat when the clouded team arrived leopard. this morning, and is unaccounted for at this time. Dallas PD is on site assisting with these search efforts. The zoo is closed today as our teams work to recover the animal. Given the nature of these animals, we believe the animals still on the grounds and hiding. We'll share updates and more information as soon as we can. Our focus right now is on finding the animal. And the, the, some of the Twitter replies are absolutely hilarious here, where people are just saying just the, the, the sound of an electric can opener will bring it running. And Are we sure that leopards aren't dangerous? Yeah, see, they seem pretty sure, but when you look up clouded leopard... They are adapted for preying on mammals of considerable bulk because of its powerful build, long canine teeth, and deep penetration of bites. That doesn't sound like it's not dangerous, Yeah, and, and they're the best. Cl- they can jump four feet in the air very, very easily. They can climb trees any way you want. They can descend the trunk of a tree head first. They can also hang on their from their back legs from a tree and drop or swipe at prey thusly. They have been known to feed on the southern pigtailed macaque, Indian hog deer. The former safety for the bears? The Bengal slow loris, the Asiatic brush-tailed porcupine, the Malayan pangolin, and Birdmore's ground squirrel. Known prey species in China include barking deer. 
And a male clotted leopard has been photographed carrying a binturong in its jaws. I would probably classify such an animal as, I don't know, dangerous. Okay, is it possible that what the zoo is doing is, let's not scare the people? Although they're doing a disservice by not scaring the people? Because I feel like a leopard's dangerous, especially if you got little mammals outside that you like. Look, there's a video in Arizona of a coyote trying to drag a two-year-old away. Right. And that's just a coyote. I mean, I just, apparently there have been helicopters in the area, but wouldn't you want to at least put out a warning to say, watch your pets at the, at the very least? Someone texted, call the LaRoche family. Well, they'll only shoot it if they have people go out and tree it for you first. Get out their assault rifles and machine guns and blow it away and then make a coat out oh, of it. Only, only if it's trafficking people. Then, then they'll get involved. Uh, sure. So I, I just think that if I had a cat or a dog and, you know, around there, little children, and I'm close enough yeah. to a Dallas Zoo, I might, I, I might react a little more than just like, oh, it's a non-dangerous animal. Yeah, maybe close up your doors and windows and get, keep your children inside. And, and there's, there are videos of escaped leopards in India in densely populated urban areas that are no joke. And, and, and some pretty brave people doing some emergency things to protect their families when these leopards are leoparding. <laughs> but that leopard didn't go crazy. That leopard went leopard. And that's what's going to happen. It's high noon. That is high noon. We do it every day around this time. And it's fun and funny. Watch your children and pets in Dallas. You know anyone near that area? Tell them. Also tell them. The Farmio warning of don't, the, of don't the, let the leopard drive. Of the escaped leopard. Don't let the dr- leopard drive. He's been drinking. To all our leopard friends out there when celebrating leopard holidays, make sure you're not eating fermented food <laughs> off the floor of the jungle. Because <laughs> it will impair your ability to hang from a tree. When we come back, we'll ask our buddy Jared Payton of what he thinks about this seismic change that's happened with the Bears as an organization. It's going to be good because he always is. It's next here on The Score.